My guest today is Brian Bogert, a human behavior and performance coach who teaches clients to leverage self-awareness and intentionality to become the most authentic version of themselves, who they already are. Brian helps executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and growth-minded individuals learn the transformative approach that cultivates perspective, motivation, and direction to help them align their life with their true purpose and defy their own expectations. He teaches not just to accept change, but to embrace pain in order to avoid suffering. Brian learned the wisdom of resiliency through his own early experiences with pain. When he was just seven years old, his left arm was detached in a vehicle accident. Throughout his childhood, people often asked, what happened to your arm? They expected a sports injury or a playground mishap, not the raw, painful truth that a truck tore it off. But instead of succumbing to suffering because of the injury, Brian fully recovered and flourished with a reattached arm, thanks to his persistent and proactive focus. He learned early how to move beyond what happened to him by creating an intentional mindset. Brian has continued to develop mindful and actionable tools for growth in his personal and professional endeavors. Even though I've only been podcasting for a year and have only 30 plus episodes under my belt, this was one of my favorite interviews thus far. We went very deep into the weeds and Brian shared some very, very personal things about his life and about his family's life. He was very gracious in answering all of my questions and my hope is this episode will help those who are suffering to see the light and learn from Brian how to get through the pain. Now sit back and enjoy. Okay, today I want to welcome my guest, Mr. Brian Boger. Brian, welcome. What's up, Joe? I love, I love that shirt you're rocking. <laughs> no limit soldier right there. I love it. There you go. You know what? So since we're talking about the shirt, or we're, yeah. we've, you brought it up. Explain to me the purpose behind this shirt. I know that you give all the money away to yeah, charity. Some of the proceeds. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll first describe kind of what No Limits is, just high level. And then we'll talk about kind of where this is. No Limits is, is part of our branding. And it's this belief that I genuinely feel like we all can live with no limits. It's not that we're unlimited and we can do anything we want. It's that we can live significantly beyond the limits we've placed on ourselves and certainly beyond the way the world has placed limits on us. And so, you know, the, the infinity sign, there's a lot of intentionality around it, which is really about awareness and intentionality and how those weave together to help us find who we are so we can live with no limits with our life in alignment. And so, you know, as we've been building this brand, um, there's always been this altruistic philanthropic side of me, everything I do and a big desire for me to be financially successful is also for my ability to distribute that wealth back out into the community. Um, so when we had an opportunity that people started to really attach to the brand and what they were doing, we we're like, you know what, let's make some apparel. And we've got, I think, five different t-shirt designs, both in men and women. We actually also have a dog design too. I'll explain that in a second. Um, but the reason we did it is, is 100% just to allow people to attach to it. You see, there's not Brian Bogert companies and stuff written all over it, right? It's, it's really the infinity and no limits and embedding people in that. And 100% of the proceeds are going to nonprofits that we're going to rotate on a quarterly basis. And so, you know, it's just been another cool way. You know, I'm not going to make a bunch of money off of t-shirts. It wasn't something that needed to move the needle, but you know, if people can attach to the brand and feel like they're doing something better. Their investments also helping more lives and a big part of who I am, I'm on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045. 
this is just another way to perpetuate that. Um, the dog shirts are that we're an animal family and my wife is like obsessed with them. And she's like, we can't have apparel without matching dog apparel, which just <laughs> to me, I die laughing at because I still think it's so ridiculous, but I love my wife to death. And every time my animals wear clothing, it just makes me laugh. Um, but it's been cool. Cause yeah, those will, those will go to support our local humane society and the ASPA, ASPCA as well. So hundred percent of the proceeds. That's great. Yeah. And it's a beautiful shirt. I'm always nervous about when you can't, yeah. You're, you can't feel it first, but when I took it out, I was like, I don't know. I've been in the gym a lot lately. I might be a little, little too big for him. It's like fit. Perfect. It makes me actually yeah. look better than I should look. So I, I appreciate <laughs> well, it. You know, I'm super anal about t-shirts as well. So I'm actually happy that you said that because I, uh, before we ever posted them, before we started selling them, we actually tested a bunch of shirts and I wanted to make sure that they fit and they felt like yeah. I like shirts to fit. Not that that means everybody else needs to like what I like, but you know, I, I've had so many other t-shirts and different apparel that they just don't fit right. And then you never wear it. Yep. And I'm like, if I, if I'm going to buy something to rep my own brand or have something for somebody else, I want something that people feel comfortable in. Yep. So yeah. I'm so happy that you feel that way. Yeah. And besides wearing it out like normal, like this with pair of jeans and whatever, I definitely am going to get some more because I think it it's cool and it, it'll be a gym shirt for me. And then I yeah. think people will come to me and go, that's cool. What is that? And then send more people your way. So that's my Dude, goal. Joe, I'm, I'm so grateful. Yeah. For the gym one, you're going to have to get one of those embrace pain to avoid suffering shirts. Yeah, that's, you, that's, that's right. That's, that's the motto in the gym. That's, that's going to help push you, man. <laughs> that's right. All right. Deal. So I always, I, I know you've told your story a, a zillion times, I'm sure. Yeah. And I want you to tell as much or as little as you want to bring us up to today. So right. however you can kind of let the I'll, audience I'll know. Yeah. I've told it a million times. So I feel like I know the points I want to hit. So okay. I'll just, I'll just run with it. Okay. I'm going to ask you and anybody who's listening, unless they're driving to just close your eyes for just one second. And I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, heading back out to your car. And it's a beautiful day. And you think you're just going on with the rest of your life. Like it was just any other normal shopping trip. And then you get to your car and you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And you know anybody who's known me, followed me, or even in the few minutes that we've been talking, you can probably tell I've always had a lot of energy. <laughs> I was the first one of the car and not a surprise to my mom because I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. You know, this is back in the days though, before they had key fobs. So I had to literally wait for my mom and brother to, you know, close the gap of those four or five feet, catch up, stick the key in the door and unlock it so we could get on our other way. And as this happened, a truck pulls up in front of the store and a driver, middle passenger get out and the passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do, Joe, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up onto the steering wheel, up onto the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting across the parking lot, 40 miles an hour, right at us with no time to react. Now we were in an end spot. So we went up into the median, went up over the car in the median, ultimately knocked me to the ground, ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left a tire track scar on my stomach and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I am laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother just watched the whole thing happen and they look up and they see my arm 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, so did my guardian angel. She saw the whole thing take place. She, there was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this happened. She saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her and she rushed immediately into action. She focused on life first. She came over and stopped the bleeding and she saved my life. And then she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice and get my detached limb on ice within minutes. Had she not done one or both of those things, I either wouldn't be here with you today 
or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the facts, right? So I, I will expedite a whole lot of the rest of that particular story. We can dig deeper if you want to, but as you can imagine, there was years of recovery that came from this, 24 surgeries and, and a whole lot of uh, lessons and observations. What I've definitely learned is that I have an extremely unique story. I'm sure that your listeners weren't expecting it to go there today. But what I've also realized is that we actually all have unique stories. And what's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. We also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So I'm gonna share with you two primary ones and then we'll just see where the conversation goes. The first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And the second, I didn't realize until far later. You know, I was a kid. I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old when I was going through the meat of all of this. So yes, I was the one doing the, the therapy. Yes, I was the one having the surgeries done to me, but I was also being guided through the process. So I was a little bit in a fog. My parents, however, were not. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of therapy. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living, which I embody in everything I do now, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And I believe when that's done right, that's also where we gain freedom. So it's these concepts that I use to not only become this unique injury, but how my business partners and I scaled our last business to 15 million within the span of a decade. And now how as a human behavior, performance coach and entrepreneur, I flipped that on its head to be able to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like the people listening, become more aware, more intentional and in who they already are, their most authentic selves. You see, I believe that's when magic starts to happen and the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation and direction. And that's when people have the opportunity to have joy, freedom and fulfillment enter back into their lives. And those are the reasons I'm spending the next 25 years of my life committed to trying to impact a billion lives on this planet. Because if we can reduce the level of suffering that people experience, which there's a lot, and we give them the chance to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment, we give them the permission to be exactly who they are and know that the world will embrace them and love them for exactly who they are. And we can bring vulnerability and authenticity into everything we do, which are the glue that binds human connection, then we can come together and leave this world a lot more beautiful place for my kids and my grandkids. Well, let me start here. First, do you still, are you still in contact with that nurse? You know, I'm actually on a mission to find her right now. Okay. I've never spoken with her. Okay. And so part of the reason I also talk about that role in that process on so many platforms is I want there to be a lot of exposure and hopefully the world's going to help me track her down because I just want to say thank you. Sure. The time that I've heard the story, I was like, I need to ask him that question. I'm just wondering yeah. if they're in connection with each other. We're not. I'm, I'm actively looking for her right now. Got it. During the time you were going to school, how did you handle, I, I, I would assume you were treated differently, right? By of your, course. by your friends and teachers and they always, whatever the case might be. How did you handle that? Yeah. So I think I handled it from a place to survive and protect myself. Although I didn't realize that's what I was doing until far later. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't like being the center of attention and I didn't like being defined by boundaries that were placed upon other people's view of what they'd be capable of in my scenario. And so I got this really adamant approach to like, I'm not going to be defined by those boundaries and I'm going to break beyond boundaries for my entire life because why not? If I want to do something, 
the limitation is inside, right? I need if, if, and there may be a physical limitation in some ways, but like I can always overcome the physical limitation if I have a will and desire that's great enough. But what happened, right, to protect myself is I created this intellectual narrative, which was I'm good, I'm strong, I'm capable, I don't need anybody's help. And it served me really well for a long time. Uh, during that period of time, I was able to really hone my emotional intelligence because I got so good at wanting to divert attention from me that I got very strong in my ability to read people, read environments, read situations so that I could almost ensure that that attention wasn't on me. And so it honed those skill sets and it also honed my mental toughness, which again, I'm a huge believer is a big part of the equation to become successful. Um, that intellectual narrative ended up biting me later in life. Uh, and when I was 20 years old, I rebroke my arm in a snowboarding injury, compound fracture, almost lost it again. And that was the moment that I realized the power of our narratives because the world bought into mine. I had, I had sung that, preached that narrative so strong. I never even said those words, right? That's just the, the message that I was sending with my energy and how I showed up and how I interacted. And now all of a sudden I'm in my most vulnerable period ever as an adult, not having the same infrastructure and support system that I had at home that I probably took for granted up until that point, how much support I had. Now all of a sudden I'm in this vulnerable position and I'm, I didn't have the courage to ask for help. So I had a lot of friends, a lot of family, nobody showed up. And they didn't show up because they didn't love me or didn't care about me. They showed up because they just believe Brian's good. He's strong. He's capable. He doesn't need anybody's help. And so that's kind of that, uh, during that whole school adolescent period, right? It was really about me proving that I could overcome the physical limitations, that I could protect myself, that I could get myself there. But what I really downplayed the importance of was the importance of human connection. So that whole next period of my life, I shifted to vulnerability and authenticity and how do I hone uh, the relationships that I was developing so strongly through emotional intelligence to be able to focus on true connection. So it sounds like your parents were super special. Did they go out of their way and whatever normal way for them to handle it, to not uh, limit you from doing anything? Like when somebody knocked on your door and said, Hey, can Brian come out and play? And we're, we're going to play football. Did they say, Brian, go have fun. Like, is that yeah. the approach they took? You know, nobody's ever asked me that question. You just gave me chills when you asked that. Um, I, th I think it's a blend, honestly. Uh, they, they did. They never wanted to be the reason that I didn't do something. But as you would expect, all parents have a protection mechanism that kicks in. Uh, so, you know, immediately after the accident, you know, I was, I was in slings and, and enduring surgeries for a few years. And so that first year after the accident, no, I wasn't going out and playing at the level that I would have right between seven and eight, mm -hmm. but it wasn't long after that, that it, it was, it opened up. We started having good friends in the neighborhood. We played football in the street. We played basketball in the street. We rode bikes nonstop. Um, and, and so they were never going to tell me that I couldn't do those things. Now, what they didn't want me to do, they didn't want me to join a football team sure. where we were playing tackle because for obvious reasons, I get hit really hard on that arm, even though the doctor said the bone was as strong. We don't know. Right. Right. So, so they would limit it in terms of like exactly the application, but at the same time, they got so used to me doing what I was doing that whenever the phone rang and it was somebody, a number that my mom didn't know back then she was expecting, yep, Brian's hurt. Okay. Brian did something again because I needed to, they, I think they appreciated the fact that that's who I was when I was born. I mean, I, I, I was always the guy that was pushing the limits even before this, this gave me perspective and humility that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so they at least were aware enough to recognize like, Brian's got a higher rush threshold and probably has an even higher one after the accident than he would have had anyway. 
And they, they knew that they needed to give me those outlets to be able to spread my wings and be free. So they always encouraged, right? Like if I wanted to go mountain bike and do jumps, they'd be like, okay, like you're going to get hurt. And then if I got hurt, we'd figure it out. Right. <laughs> I mean, within reason, they gave me the freedom. I think they made the right decision to not let me play tackle football. Who knows what could have happened. Right. Um, but did I play on other sports teams? Absolutely. So uh, yeah, I think my parents really did encourage it. And they still do to this day, despite the fact that they know, you know, I think my mom has just gotten used to constantly being on edge, like expecting that Brian's going to do something crazy and get hurt. That's how we find our limits in, in this world is we got to push them. Well, tell her to not follow your Instagram account so she doesn't have to see you squatting 400 pounds. <laughs> I saw that. I saw the, the photo of you sitting there squatting. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't watch this. He's, he's killing me. Um, well, I mean, it, and that's one of those things I had to like learn, right? I mean, my biggest limitation for some of those things is my hand strength. And so I have to get creative and I figure out how to do things. And when I first started deadlifting, I mean, I knew I couldn't deadlift with a normal bar because of the imbalance in my body already, but I could deadlift with a trap bar and protect myself for the most part. Mm -hmm. Well, that worked really well until the one time that my strap broke oh. while I was lifting. And this was like early on. So I had to like learn these things. Well, my instinct wasn't to just let go of the bar on the other side. And I think I, I, so what you saw the other day, it wasn't 400 pounds. I think it was 200. Yeah, no, I just, I, um, I couldn't remember. But, but. but I, but I, I have, I have repped significantly above 300 pounds. I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress on the point. I was doing that in this one scenario when the strap broke and I didn't let go on my right hand because it wasn't instinct because I wasn't expecting the strap to break. And this was a learning experience because it tweaked me really bad. And it, it, I mean, I didn't lit, deadlift for a few months after that. I had to recover. But once I started getting back into it, it changed my form. It changed my focus. It changed my attention. And now I'm like intimately aware of like every movement on the strap. Mm -hmm. And I'm like ready at any moment to just drop so that I don't tweak my back. Right. Um, but my core strength is a big part of my ability to not be in debilitating pain every single day. Sure. So those deadlifts, keeping my upper thoracic, keeping my shoulders, keeping my back, because I don't have a lot on the left side of my back, keeping them strong is essential for me to not be literally in debilitating pain every day. And so I those are the, those are the pains I have to embrace. I've got to embrace the pain of figuring out how do I lift in a way that pushes my body, gets the hip hinge in there, gets the movement in my back and my core strength and all that stuff engaged in a way that's going to allow me to maintain a livable amount of pain in my back because the imbalance versus debilitating suffering. Um, so, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, but yeah, I think my mom is just like used to it. My wife is too. I mean, my wife is incredible. She literally is like, I know that if you set your mind to something, you're just going to go do it. And there's a high degree at some point you're going to get hurt. She's like, but what am I going to do? Like box you in and contain you? Like, you're just going to go do it anyway. Right. I was like, yeah, see, like, I love that. Right. It's like, <laughs> just, just let people, let people spread their wings. That's right. Well, that's great. Before we get off of this subject and move yeah. on, I know that you and Blake do mountain biking. Yeah, we do. Right. Yeah. And that's like a big thing that he loves to yeah. do with you and you with him and um, so that's got to be at least, a, I mean, I've done it and that's a lot on the arms. Yeah. So what's funny is I have no other perspective because I didn't learn how to mountain bike until after my injury. Right. I didn't, I didn't learn how to mountain bike when my, when like my son did at five and six and seven. So um, yeah, it is an imbalance. Yeah, it is difficult. Um, and I did it for almost, let's see, I did it for probably 20 years before I actually started uh, adapting my bike. And so, um, you know, there's no tricep. Yep. So tricep and lat are the two muscles that you absorb all of it, all of the impact with when you're mountain biking outside of the suspension. So I don't have a lat and I don't have a tricep. So there's an automatic imbalance in my body, but 
I've learned how to balance it because I didn't know any other way. And I was motivated and wanted to do it. Mountain biking is one of the few places that I'm like absolutely free. And the reason I'm absolutely free there is I don't have the ability to think about anything else. Almost any other workout I do, almost anything I do, like uh, there's time to think. Mm -hmm. Mountain biking, you've done it, right? You know, yeah. like you've got to be on your game, 100% focused on what's ahead of you. And so because of that, I've learned how to modify, uh, you know, how to modify my body, my weight distribution, the way that I actually handle the handlebars. But two years ago about, um, I started researching modifications for people with upper extremity injuries. And I landed with this company in the UK that they're actually right now building a product for me that I think is going to take my mountain biking to the next level, which is cool. But what I did is I got a steering stabilizer, almost like the ones they have on dirt bikes. There's a company in the U S called Hopi and they make these steering stabilizers for, um, for mountain bikes. So I ended up getting that, which what it essentially does is it's a spring unit, which snaps the bars back to being straight. I thought it was going to help me more going downhill than uphill. What's crazy is it's actually helped my climbing more than anything because I can pick a line and put all the power I need to in the pedals and not worry about the imbalance in the handles because it'll, uh, it'll keep my line pure yeah. it'll, with like slight rigid. And then downhill, it just gives me more confidence as well because you know if I were to hit a bump and it goes on the left side, your weight goes forward, the handlebars collapse, right? And you just like twist the bars. This steering stabilizer allows me to balance it with the muscle structure I have in the right arm and how I can balance my body on the left. And then... Um, Hope, Hopey Breaks is also um, uh, another brand that I actually found out. They just released this last year, um, a, a brake unit that has two master cylinders in one unit. So you can have your front and your rear brake both on the same side. I've always never used the front brake in mountain biking sure. because my All right side pressure. is always my back, yeah. which you want to be able to use primarily anyway, mm -hmm. right? Whereas road biking, which I do a lot of, the front brake is more important. Mountain biking, the rear one's more mm -hmm. important. So I was always able to like skid around the corners, but I never had the confidence that I could actually stop and modulate my brakes effectively. So I would take things a little more cautiously. Yeah. Um, now that I have these brakes on both sides and I can truly modulate like just with like little twitches of my fingers and the steering stabilizer, man, it's changed my mountain biking game. I can go out there and rip at a level that I've never been able to with confidence. Um, and then I, there's, like I said, these are these, these two other products that I'm really excited about, but you know, it's one of those things I never knew any different. I sure. wanted to do it and I figured it out. And I think that, again, that's one of those things that I could have just told myself like, nope, you can't do it. You don't have a tricep. You don't have a lot. Like, but I genuinely believe if you want something badly enough and you take the time to think, plan and put things into trial and error, you, you start to realize you can do a lot more than what the world conditions us to believe we're capable of. Mountain biking is just another example for me on many things that I've been able to break those boundaries and expectations. I see, I, I go mountain biking with people and they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, how do you do it? I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could tell, you could explain to me with a fully abled body how you do it, but I wouldn't understand it because that's not my experience. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. So Blake is your son. Addison's yeah. your beautiful redheaded little daughter. Yeah. With what happened to you, do you believe that certain people on this earth are have the power to get through some of these things where I, I just think about what you've gone through. I think about even my own brother who, when he was young, my, they were, they were at my parents' house. They were splitting wood with a, one of those hydraulic splitters that goes really slow. Right. But the log oh, yeah. slipped and he had like these two fingers crushed yeah. and then, yeah. you know, reconstructed, but not usable in a sense. Then he lost his son at 21 years old in a car accident. 
and I think about this and I go, God, I, I am not, I don't have the capacity to handle something like that. And I guess when it happens, it, it's different, right? You, you figure it out, but I almost feel like certain people, I don't know they just, they're born to be able to handle these things. And, and it's, this is more for the audience yeah. that might hear this and go, God, there's all of these things that come into people's lives that they're, they're given to deal with whatever that might be. And is it just the chosen ones that can handle it? That's why they've, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I, that's. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate the direction your questions are going, by the way, I just have to compliment you. On Thank that. you. You're, you're asking a depth of questions that, that don't often get contemplated. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of truth behind even what you said. You know, it's interesting. If you even think about what you just said, when you were talking about your brother, you say, I look at him and I'm not sure that I could have handled it. And the reason I pay attention to that is because that is what I truly believe in how the world has viewed me. They have viewed my limits through their own lens of what they believe they're capable of. I don't think that people truly know what they're capable of until they're tested. And that can be done either intentionally or externally, right? Sometimes we get tested not by our choice. Clearly getting run over by, my, by a truck was not by my choice, but it was a test and I could show my strength to myself and to the world by how I stood back up and what I've now done with it, okay? Why I say I have a unique story is it doesn't matter the trauma that I experienced because it's unique solely to me. The trauma that your brother experienced, the trauma that other people experience with divorce or loss of a loved one or financial despair or like you name it, we all have our own unique challenges that we face. And I don't care who you are, if you're still on this planet and you're still standing, you are a survivor. None of us get through this world unscathed. None of us. Perspective allows us to really pay attention to what other people are going through. But what perspective is really doing is allowing us the opportunity to get in someone else's world, to gain perspective, to apply to our own. So it's not necessarily about what each one of us are inherently able to handle. It's that I think we're all dealt a unique set of cards and it's how we play those cards that matter. So the thing about pain, and I'm just going to speak to that because my experience was pain. Your brother's experience was pain. He had physical pain, probably emotional and spiritual pain with the loss of two fingers and a deep emotional, mental, spiritual, and probably manifested as physical pain with the loss of his son. It's pain. That's what it is. Now, pain can't be measured independent of the person experiencing it. But the one thing we know is that it's a universal human experience. We all experience pain. And so what's important is not to question, can I, or could I have handled that? But just to say, I've handled everything that's ever been thrown my way and I'm still standing here today. So what that tells me is you're probably capable of handling a lot more than you thought you were capable of at a prior period in your life. And if something were to happen, that's devastating, right? In that moment, you have to choose. Is this going to define me and keep me stuck? Or am I going to use this as fuel to who I'm capable of becoming because of what I've gone through? That's why I said it earlier, I learned not to get stuck by what's happened to me, but I get moved by what I can do with it. I realize I have a gift, not just in my own 
natural abilities and gifts and intuition and emotional intelligence and all the things, but this has given me perspective that couldn't, I couldn't have gained any other way. I can put myself in other people's shoes and know what it feels like to not be seen, to know what it feels like to feel like nobody understands me, to know what it feels like to have people question everything I'm capable of for my entire life, even if it has nothing to do with my physical ability. Even if it's 100% mental, 100% job and application, they view me as not capable of doing, I know what that feels like. And I've had to battle that my whole life. I don't know a single person on this planet who has never felt that way. We all feel it, we all experience it, and it's real to each one of us uniquely. So I know that's probably a lot longer of an answer than you were hoping for, but the depth of the question I think required that approach because it's not about what you believe you could handle based on other people's circumstances. It's about what you already have handled and what you're very capable of handling if you change the way you think and feel about what you're capable of, which again is typically limiting in our own belief system. So because we're doing this, recording and you and I have not talked about what we could talk about or what we couldn't talk about. I want to ask this and obviously I can always edit it out and you you know, the free game, buddy, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so when does someone say like, did you ever have these dark moments? And this is not the part of the question that is that I'm going to ask. This is just in front of it. Did you ever have a moment that you said, why me? Like, did you ever? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I have those moments still today when I get, when I get hit with certain things. Um, The reason I was able to shift out of that so quickly, I I remember being seven years old. And that was the first thing I remember when I woke up one feeling like it was a dream. And then I was like in this hazy state of like what this altered reality felt like it didn't feel real. And then it was probably a day or two before I really came to and was like awake, awake, not just like in that dazed awake. At least this is from memory. I don't know the exact timeline. This is just how I feel it. And I literally remember that question. Why me? What is the rest of my life going to look like? Like, this sucks. Like, I felt sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. I was given the opportunity to snap out of that quickly because the uniqueness of my story drew a lot of attention to it. And there was a lot of families in the ICU with us who were coming up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. This is so horrible. We can't believe how hard this must be for you as a family. Let us know whatever we can do to help, right? Just getting wrapped with love and support from strangers. I had a stranger save my life, right? That's like, that's crazy to think about. A stranger went into action and saved my life. Had she not chosen to do that, I wouldn't be here. So I don't take that lightly, but what's happening in the ICU with these families is we start to realize that these families that are giving us just unfiltered support are also questioning whether or not their kid is going to survive another 30 days from the terminal illness that they're in the ICU with. Other than the immediate threat to my life and not at that moment, knowing whether or not I'd be able to use my arm. Right. I I knew I'd be alive. Right. And over the course of the next 10 years, being with those kids and, you know, all of us who wanted to rally around this cause to help more people, to bring perspective, motivation, direction to an organization that helped us so holistically in a healing process, either physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, right? Um, you know, I lost multiple of them to their terminal illnesses over the course of the next 10 years. And so although I don't think about them every day, when I'm asked questions like that, it really centers me and grounds me because I'm here happy, healthy, and productive, living a life that many would dream of. And those kids didn't have the opportunity to do so. 
And so I have to just know and honor that it was me for a lot of reasons. I might not know all those reasons in this lifetime. I, I believe I know a lot of them at this point, but I still ask that question. I mean, last week was an unbelievably challenging week for me. I, I saw the story and uh, yeah, that's part of where, uh, you know. Yeah, this I mean, last week was an unbelievably challenging week for me for a, a variety of reasons. One was around this fabricated reality around a date that in some ways is very significant in other ways is not significant. But coincidentally or uncoincidentally, I got kicked in the stomach multiple times last week. And yet it didn't really totally phase me in a way that brought me down to the deepest, darkest moments. Because every time I face those things, every time I start to ask the question, why me? It starts to reveal itself faster and faster the more I go through the, the pain. And, and, and so I now have this element of trust and surrender where, yeah, literally last week I was like, gosh, why do I always have this stuff happening? Why am I the one that has to deal with this? Literally. I mean, I, I said that to my wife last week and then in the same breath, I'm like, I know why. Um, and so for those that, that ask that question still, I would just encourage you to recognize that there absolutely is a reason. Nothing happens by accident. You could call this my accident, but this was for a purpose. It wasn't on purpose, but it was for purpose. And, and I realize that now more holistically than I have in my entire life. But it's the same thing for everybody else. I mean, I guarantee that your brother has learned from his experiences and having to adapt and do things with the loss of two fingers. He's had to learn and adapt. Like, what does it mean to be a parent? And there's so many who live out there who live on their lives without their child still a part of it. Parents aren't meant to outlive their kids. Correct. What's the, right? what, and the I, and worst I, horror I could think of? And, and by the way, there was this pending doom around this date last week that was connected to that for me as well, as from a parent's lens now. And the date I've referenced it a couple of times, I didn't, I didn't say it specifically on the show, but uh, this last Saturday, March 6th, was the day that my son, who's my little clone, my little mini me, my, my only boy and my oldest, was the exact same age to the day that I was on the day of my injury. 29 years separated. And there was a lot to that. Most of what happened in the 10 days leading up to it had nothing to do with my son. But they were absolutely clarifying moments that needed to take place in that window. And Saturday was kind of a new start for me in a whole variety of ways, which was just unbelievably cleansing and freeing and purifying. And so, you know, even the questions last week, why me? Why does this stuff always happen to me? Why do I have to be the one to do this? We're very clear. I know. And I think all of us do. We just fight and we resist because it's not in alignment with what the world tells us. It's not in alignment with what the narrative is externally. Right. But it's not about being the victim. It's about recognizing that if we have ownership and accountability with everything we do, we recognize that there's always a reason, there's always a cause, and there's always a way through it if we desire it enough. That's when we start to become free. Okay. So here's the the part where I want to talk about Blake and Addison. Yeah. Really quickly. I don't want to yeah. stay because we, you know, I know you're super productive positive guy. And I don't want this episode to be like yeah. the Debbie Downer episode, but 
you went through a lot in your life up to this point, yeah. right? Yeah. And then lot. Blake, I, I remember you talking about this. So I'm only bringing this up because I think you've talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've shared publicly on stuff. I'm, I'm sure I know where you're going, yeah. but go ahead. So, so you said Blake is, is on the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And so you, there's an extra amount of attention that has to happen of there, course. right? Of course. So then you deal with that. Another moment where you said, why me? Like, haven't I done, haven't I gone through enough? Why me? Right. Yep. And then now you have yet a third time now with, with Addison, with her hearing. Yeah. Right. And that could be another time where you go, I, when is it going to stop? Or it's like, why me? Right? right. I'm sure there's people out there that do not handle this anywhere near as well as you. And I'm hoping your words of wisdom, if yeah. they run across this episode, that it will help them understand how you, I mean, you can look at their beautiful faces and go, it doesn't matter. You know, they're yeah. amazing. It just, it's a, it's a small little blip on the radar, but yeah. it's still some people can't even handle the blip. So that's, they can't, you know, yeah, they can't. Um, and, and by the way, there's a lot more depth and truth to that statement than, than you probably even realized. I mean, to the point that when we found out about our daughter's hearing loss, the um, audiologist actually said to us, she does have loss and she could benefit from hearing devices. And I, I paused and I said, she could benefit? Like, are you saying she needs hearing aids? Like, is her hearing profound enough that it's not like she would benefit? She, she needs it to restore it to what we would expect her hearing to be. And she said, yeah. And I said, why didn't you just say that? And she said, because most parents don't want to hear it. Right. And she said, and even when they do want to hear it, she said, because of the reports that we get when we plug in hearing aids, even if they go through the process of getting hearing aids, even if they go through the process of doing these things, she said, most kids, the hearing aids live in a drawer because of some reason, right? That either the parents don't think it's important, they're embarrassed by their kid or whatever, right? Like there's a whole slew of things. You're exactly right. And in both those moments, by the way, when we found out about our son's diagnosis on the autism spectrum and we found out about our daughter, um, uh, th it was, it was challenging, right? It was absolutely challenging for both my wife and I, and we both, we, we both grieved in different ways. And why I choose the word grieve is anytime we have a vision for our lives and that reality that we've created gets stolen from us, we experience loss. We literally go through the grieving process, the multiple steps of grieving. Sometimes it's anger that manifests first. Sometimes it's just like absolute depression. Some, but, but recognize it for what it is. Like having something happen to your kid and realizing that they might have an altered future from what you always desired and hoped for them, it, you have to process that. Mm -hmm. But then once you process that and you start to realize like this doesn't define the kid, just like my accident didn't define me. Right. What this really does is, is it's a gift because what getting both of their diagnoses as early as we did, what it allows us to do is wrap them with services, wrap them with all the support they need to close the gap between whatever their diagnosis limits them from doing to what, you know, a typical kid might be capable of doing. It shortens that gap early in those foundational early development years so that it won't really ever hurt them. Plus, the more that we talk about it, not as an ailment, but just a part of who they are, right? It's no longer a label. It becomes a, a term of empowerment because they recognize that like they have superpowers as a result of what their diagnoses are. So the answer is yes, there's 
there was absolute grieving for both my wife and I, for both children. Um, we're well beyond that at this point, uh, but it, it hung with us for a while. And, and there are still moments where the difficulty and complexity of our household that most people will never understand. And ours is light compared to what some other people's situations are, right? So we keep that in perspective too. Um, is it harder than most parents and most households might have to be? We believe so, but it's not about like, we have got it more difficult than what they have. It's just, this is the cards we're dealt. So we're gonna play them as best we can. Um, for both of our kids, we know how lucky they are to have us. My wife is brilliant. My wife is brilliant. And, and, and what she has done to allow our kids to feel authentically who they are and safe, despite all of these things, despite the fact that they know they're different in certain ways and you know, honoring and cherishing and encouraging them to just make, do the things that make their hearts happy and stand up for what is, is right and know that they're worthy of receiving love like exponentially and right, all these things like my wife and I, we're, we're partners, but our kids are lucky to have us. But the counter to that is we also feel extremely privileged to have our kids because they have challenged me to go to depths of myself, my soul, my emotions that allow me to be more effective in the world. That had I not recognized those scenarios for what they were, which is we can handle them and let's figure out the plan forward, it probably would have made me feel stuck longer than it did. Um, and so for those parents that are listening out there that might have kids like this, or even if there's not a diagnosis, but you just have a challenging time or there's an injury or there's something like, again, nothing happens by accident. Um, and so the only way through it is through it. And if you, if you desire something on the other side, then you got to go through. And that's really what it comes down to. Really powerful. And uh, I appreciate you sharing. Leading up to this interview, I wanted to talk about those things. And I was yeah. just like, I know he's talked about it, but I, I, I didn't know how to actually go after it. And um, um, You did it beautifully, my friend. It was thank, great. Um, I'm grateful that you shared. And so, okay. So now you... And I know this is a big jump, but I just want to, I, I know we have, limited, yeah, no, let's go. We got it. We yeah. have limited time and I don't, and, and I want to yeah. get to where you are today. So then yep. you get into the insurance business, correct? So you're in, yep. in that for, you grew a, a company. I think it was from like quarter million to 15 million over the span of a, of a, of a decade. You just picked that. That was just a career that you picked at one point And yeah, you know, what's funny. I, I, I sort of picked it. It sort of picked me. Okay. Um, you know, I was my junior year in college was uh, deciding that I needed to go get an internship. And so I started looking at a whole bunch of different places. And I actually ended up getting into insurance because my one of my childhood friends and my childhood girlfriend, in fact, that we grew up together in a lot of ways. Um, I always had her parents were like second parents to me for a lot of years. And I always had a great lot of respect, but I always like viewed her dad as this very successful man, but I knew nothing about what he did. And I reached out to him as a mentor, frankly, and just said, Hey, I'm going out and I'm doing these interviews and I have these things. And, you know, I'd talk to my own parents and they're successful and they've done these things as well, but I, I wanted extra perspectives. And he ultimately was like, ah, I'm going to pass on your resume to so-and-so. And if you don't get a call in three days, call me. And I was like, oh, okay. Like not having any clue what it was. <laughs> it was the only one that was in insurance, right? Um, very, very amazing opportunity. And it just took off from there. And uh, nobody grows up wanting to be in insurance, right? I, I mean, and if they do, I, and if, if you're listening to this, I apologize if you always had a desire to be in insurance. I know there's some people who like love it. I never loved it. Right. It was a great vehicle for me. And it was a great testing ground for me to grow and develop who I was as a professional, who I was as a man. Um, I kind of grew up in it, but um, yeah, no, I didn't seek out insurance. I kind of fell into it and it just, it fit. Right. So while you were there, 
was your inner voice saying, there's more out there for me. I want to do more, I, whatever it might be. I mean, you know, how did you make the jump then when you left yeah. there to now what you're doing, which is the the coaching and the speaking and, yep. and the podcast. And I mean, I, I look at your website and I get tired just looking at all the, all the, <laughs> the different menus that I could pick to look at stuff. And then I went into the podcast when I was like, wait, is he doing actually three podcasts? Like, how's he doing all this? So um, how did you decide, how did you decide you were going to leave insurance and then pursue the Brian Bogart we know today? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the first question you asked, which was, did I always know? Um, I knew for a long time, I've always had this gut feeling that like there was something meaningful that I was meant to do. No idea what that meant. Okay. And then I conditioned that out of myself. And when I first got out of college, it was like bright eyed and bushy tailed. I was going to go take over the world and make a ton of money. Right. I'm going to, I'm literally going to be running the company. I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to, it was all external. And, you know, this is one of the things I talk about now is I chased the what, like so many of us did, right. I chased what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, what image do I want to portray? What, 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 what? And I lost the who along the way. And, uh, you know, I woke up one day after having accomplished all the what's that I ever desired way earlier than I thought I would and in a way bigger level than I ever thought I would. And I realized like, what have I been doing all this for? Right. Like the more money I made, the less I cared about money. The more I got into a successful career, the more I was like, what am I doing to myself? And then I'm running in circles with people making, you know, six, seven, eight figures who all were having high levels of success and they were all miserable too. And so the, those were the turning, turning point moments over the probably the last seven to eight years, maybe six, seven years, if, if I'm being real honest. Cause when I first started coaching, uh, it was because I had my son and I always said that I was going to do everything for the benefit of my family always. And I did, but then six months went by with my son like that. And I realized I missed all of it except the first week because I was burning the candle at both ends. I was still living the life that I was to create this abundant amount of external success and validation that I needed to prove to myself I could do it. And I never recalibrated my life. So, you know, part of providing everything for my family is with finances and security and opportunity and safety and all those things. But but, but it's also love and leadership and presence and connection. It's, you know, I didn't want to be that guy that did everything for his family and then woke up 25 years later and never had a relationship with any of them. And they decided that I didn't serve a role for them outside of money. Mm -hmm. It's not all about money. It never was all about money. And so it was the first time in my life. I didn't have the people in my life, the mentors, the experience, or the intellect myself to figure out how to fix it. So I hired my first coach and he said to me in a, a month of working together, he goes, Bogart, you gotta be doing this. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you need to be coaching and speaking. He said, you've been on stages since you were seven because you've got a unique ability or a unique story and you have an ability that you're not afraid in front of groups. And he's like, you're all about building people and building businesses. Like you're always helping. You're always finding ways to level people up. You're always helping them connect dots. You're... And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I was like, I'm paying you a lot of money not to tell me how great I am to help figure out this other stuff. And I completely <laughs> threw it out the window. And then, uh, you know, it just kept trickling. It kept trickling at every single month for about nine months. And then this crazy experience happened, which again, nothing happens by accident but the universe gave me the sign that I needed, which was, he told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And that's when I started to desire a little bit more and started to feel like maybe I wasn't in alignment, but I had to ask the question, if I'm going to jump into speaking and coaching, is this complimentary or conflicting to everything else I had? Cause I was so significantly invested mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually and, and monetarily right in this other business that we built. That was the fruits of its labor. were just starting to pay off. And it's like, let's, you know, let's make sure that we forge ahead on what we're doing here. So I started coaching and speaking and I did it alongside for about five years 
And then summer of 2019 comes around. And again, I told you, I'm running in circles with people that are just miserable. And I realized my relationships with my clients started shifting to more coaching relationships. Like we were placing, you know, multi-million, hundreds of million, tens of millions of dollars of insurance for people. And my conversations had nothing to do with insurance with the people that I was actually interacting right. with at the C-suite, yeah. right? I was coaching them on how to be better people, how to be better leaders, how to change the culture of their business, think through and problem solve on things that really had nothing to do with insurance, but the insurance was how we were in the door. And so the more that started to migrate, we have this, you know, connection moment in summer 2019 with my wife and I, we go away for a weekend and it was one of those that like mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, like brother, like our souls were bonded. Like we were one and we're driving back to pick up our kids. And she looks over at me and goes, how would you feel if you didn't have to go to the office on Monday morning? And I was like, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Why don't you tell me more? <laughs> I had some other, I had, I had some other health stuff that impacted me pretty significantly a few years back. I'm good now. It's all, all, all squared away. But she said, I think you let some of this health stuff allow fear to enter into your world in a way I've never seen you operate. She said, I, I feel like you've convinced yourself that we need the money, the status, the prestige, the security, the, all of the above of what's been built. She said, I'm here to tell you we don't. I don't care if we live in a cardboard box. What we need is 100% of you. And she said, I don't know if you see it or not, but I see you dying a little bit inside every single day you live in insurance. And, um, and so she said, I think you're barely scraping the surface of your potential, nor do I think you're having the impact on the world that you want. And then she said, you know, there's nobody on this planet I'd rather take a bet on than you. We took a big bet on you once and it paid off. Why don't we double down on that bet and see what you can do? And so, you know, this was one of those moments where I was flooded with fear, flooded with a whole bunch of emotions. And I had to spend three months really unpacking it with complete awareness, complete intentionality, understanding where my blocks were, and ultimately came to the decision that I needed to embrace the pain of walking away from the easy button, from the sure thing, to avoid the suffering of not ever knowing what I could become or what I'd be capable of doing from an impact perspective. So you fast forward to today, and um, you know I spent 10 months unpacking that business, left at the, I had the best year ever in that industry, the year I left, and was all simultaneously building the foundation for where we could go. And you know, I'm not sure if I said it or not yet on this show. I think I did. Yeah. But, um, but that's, that's now where I'm so clear and convicted on this, this billion lives. I genuinely believe like we've got an opportunity to, to change the world and make people feel at a level that they've never felt and feel free. And so, um, you know, I, I know what that miserable dark place looks like. I've spent a lot of my life in moments like that. No one deserves to feel that way, mm -hmm. but a lot of people do. Yep. And right now I feel more free, more fulfilled, happier, and more like myself than I have in my entire life. Everybody deserves to feel how I'm feeling right now. And so, you know, when I started to get the curiosity, I didn't even lean into it. My wife pushed me. And she, along with my other coach, told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And it's not lost on me the courage it took in my wife to take that leap of faith with me and give me the push knowing it could upset her entire lifestyle. Um, and so, you know, that's what I had to honor because my kids are watching. I don't want my kids to see me do what's easy. I want my kids to see me do what's right. Incredible. I love it. So your podcast, what are the, there, is there, are there three? Is that right? You know what? I actually don't even have my own yet. Okay. I I'm in the process of developing a few, what you've probably seen is I have Bogert's bullets, yeah. which is a regular consistent thing, but and it's going to be repurposed into a podcast, but right now it's just on YouTube and it goes on all my social channels. Yep. Um, we have a marriage hacks string that we've started that my wife and I, we've now done, we've only done one episode, but we repurposed it into three. And then my content team and strategists decided that there are a whole lot of thought leaders, influencers, speakers in the world that create intellectual content, similar to what I have for years, Bogart's bullets, putting things out, podcasts, other pieces of content that get distributed. 
And then there's vloggers that are much more niche, but there's nobody that's doing both. And so he's like, if you talk about how you live, you talk about these philosophies, you talk about these guiding principles, these lessons, these things that you do, why don't we pull the curtain back and show people behind the scenes that that's actually how you operate? And so those are the three things that you've probably found is Bogart's Bullets, the Marriage Hacks, and then the No Limits Vlog. And all three of those, although they're not currently set up as podcasts, um, one of them will be repurposed that way. And then I'm actually in the process right now, I'll be a co-host on at least two podcasts that we're going to be launching here soon, likely three if, if this other concept takes off. Uh, you know, the podcasting world has kind of changed my world in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. in a way I never saw coming. You know, I've been on over 150 other people's shows in the last seven, eight months. Um, and it's allowed me to have opportunities to meet people like you, right? And the connection with Ken Jocelyn and Steve Sims, right? Which both were people that I was on their platforms and their shows. Like it's allowed me to align myself with incredible individuals on this planet so that we can truly have collective impact. So th those are the three shows that currently exist, but they're not podcasts currently. Got it. Okay. So you have things coming up. I know that you're doing the Ken Jocelyn's um, boot yep. camp, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm doing his boot camp in April. I've done two of his. I've got some other speaking events coming up. And then we've also got a few things uh, launching that I'm really excited about. Um, so we're still doing all of our work with No Limits University, which is really like the concepts and the philosophies to help people understand who they are, leading them on an intrinsic journey. Um, but we also have another entity and a movement that's called Who Before What that's uh, launching as we speak, um, which is really a, an attempt to help us change the language and narrative in society about putting more emphasis on what we do uh, versus who we are. And it's not that one or both don't matter. It's that they both matter, but one needs to lead, which is who. And so we're going to change the narrative because it's this whole idea that, you know, you go to a networking event and the first question everybody asks is, what do you do? <laughs> Right. And, and even if you ask who you are, like, tell me who you are, 98% of people answer with what they do, not who they are, right? So Part of the true. pain and the suffering that exists on this planet is so many people don't know who they are. And so the, a lot of the core of the work with everything we do with our coaching and the No Limits University and those things are all about that. But we're actually creating a specific movement to bring into conscious awareness this idea of who needs to be before what. I love that. Is the university and the who before what are they separate from your actual coaching piece that you they're know? all there? It's all kind of integrated. Okay. So yeah, my, my, I would say my one-to-one -one coaching is the only thing that's kind of outside of that umbrella. Okay. Um, it all fits on the same coaching philosophies, but just with the, the people I work with one-to-one, -one, it's, it's just inherently different than the other structure that we have, but it's the same philosophies. Um, what you'll know about me and a lot of what we do with like the no limits you and everything is, is this idea that, we truly have the ability, if we are aware enough and intentional enough to build a life of alignment that can become self-regulating. So for me, I'm very clear on who I am. I'm very clear on where I'm headed. I'm very clear on the impact I want to have, as well as the hierarchy of importance in my life, family being first, right? Um, after that, because I'm so clear, everything I do is in alignment with where I'm headed. So when you ask the question, are they all in it? Yeah, they're integrated because they're all holistically apart and in alignment of where we're going to impact a billion lives how those are translated look a little bit different, but they are all towards the same intent, which is to impact a billion lives. So it's the YouTube channel. It's eventually some podcasts on their way. It's the No Limits University. There's the who before what portion of that. There's the coaching, which is one-on-one -on -one with you, correct? Yep. 
speaking engagements when, when, I mean, obviously you still do it virtually, but you're actually going to be live at that boot camp coming up yep. in April. Yep. So as that opens up again, I mean, when I watched you on the growth now summit, which I attended your portion of it was brilliant. I, you know, oh, I just you. sat in awe. I mean, you're an amazing speaker. Thank um, you. You're just not talking to us, but you you bring people in to the story. And Thank I just sat there and I was like, Oh, this is unbelievable. Like I would have paid thousands of dollars to watch it. So it was amazing. Did I, did I miss somewhere on your website? Cause it's just so much on there. I can't figure out, but no, you didn't miss, you didn't miss anything. There's going to be new sections actually built out on the website soon. Okay. Uh, let's put it this way. You listed a lot. And those are all the things that are, are most forward facing at the moment. Okay. I have three other entities that I'm connected to that I'm a part of that I, that we are building and scaling which will become public soon. Okay. I think what I what I uh, what I really want to emphasize is all of these things are in alignment. All of these things are designed to help people become free and be exactly who they are. So everything that I do is in alignment, which we all have the ability to do. I have my hands in a lot, right? I do. I just know this, but that's what I believe is required to impact a billion lives. And so what I often talk about is that's the guiding light. And then I have multiple vehicles to help us accomplish that. So there's other pieces that will be rolling out that I think will actually add real, real value in actual strategy and tactics that will be followed after the who's are in place. So once we help people understand who they are, we also want solutions to be able to help them chase the what. And so that's that, those are the other three things that I'm talking about. They're going to be on the what side, but we're putting so much emphasis on the who because that's where we that's where people need to start. And will these all be online sort of? They will all be out. Yep. Okay. They will all be online. They okay. will all be external. Um, some are actual products, some are services, some is a consulting. Um, but it's really to kind of hit from a multifaceted standpoint, how to help people reach what they really think they're capable of. Great. Did I miss a book anywhere in there? Um, no, I've got books in works. I've got a co-authored book that's on my website. Um, it's a great resource for people. It's there just simply because it, it's, I want people to be aware that, you know, everybody's story matters. Everybody's voice matters. Um, I've got a few different concepts in play. We'll, we'll see what happens over time. Okay. Yeah, I've, got, I've got some exciting stuff. Okay. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. I just, no, 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 you're hitting, you're hitting on a lot. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, our, our time is up, uh, and I want to respect your time. And this was amazing for me. I really appreciate it. I hope to meet you in person sooner than later, since we both live in Arizona. Um, So I'm really happy for you. And uh, this was an honor for me. I really appreciate you coming on the show. So Joe, meeting is inevitable. It's going to happen. So we just need to make it happen. I I love it. Um, I am grateful for you having a platform for me to be able to come put good into the world. And I'm honored that you asked me to be a part of this. Um, And so I want to say thank you for that. Uh, And I also want to thank you because you, despite not having met or even talked until today, we've been communicating now for a little while and you've been a huge supporter in so many ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful because truthfully, the, the way that you've chosen to engage the feedback that you've provided, the way that you've jumped in on social posts and different content, that's my fuel more than I can even describe. And so I, 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 I see you, I noticed you. I'm paying attention and I'm very grateful to have people like you in my life. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, especially coming from you. Again, I'm a huge fan and I'm glad we did this. So thank you, Brian Bogart. I appreciate you. Likewise, brother. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. 
I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts, and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much. Thank you.